Hello hockey fans and welcome to the podcast once again. This is the Vegas Hockey Podcast. My name is Mark Warner along with my co-host Chris Letha. We are pleased to welcome in Dan Mount today. He's a Nashville Predators contributor for the Hockey Writer. He is also a reporter at the Watertown Daily Times and an editor at the Hockey Sentinel. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. Hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. Yes, happy thanks, happy American Thanksgiving. I guess I should say because I know we got a lot of listeners in Canada, um, and mm-hmm. and to you and yours as well. To you and yours as well. We did a uh, traditional turkey feast last night. I'm paying for it a little this morning, so uh, I guess that's that's typical for uh, overeating. I guess. Uh, We'll start off right away, going around the league and and news coming out of New, the New York Islanders camp uh, this week. Chris Chris has written an article at thehockeywriters.com detailing a lot of of the Travis Hamonic situation, where before the season he asked for a trade due to personal reasons. Um, Chris, why don't you go ahead and outline your article, and we'll see uh, we'll see what we can make out of it. Yeah, great to be great to be back. Um, yeah, in regards to Hamannik, um, he, he came out I guess about a week ago now, a little over a week ago, uh, to the public that he did at the uh, right before the season started meet with Gart Snell and request a trade. Uh, and it has nothing to do with it. He doesn't want to be an Islander. Um, it was basically due to personal reasons. We do not know the depth of what those reasons are, but. Knowing the kind of person Travis Hamannick is and is uh, well-documented, uh, he is a very stand-up young man, high character. So something's going on uh, that, that he needs to be close to home. The Islanders said that they would try to accommodate, but obviously it was right before the start of the season. So everyone's rosters were set, everyone's salary cap is, at the, as we all know, most of the teams are at the, you know, uh, right next to the ceiling of the salary cap. So... Uh, pulling off a trade is not going to be easy. Uh, also, what the Islanders are, it's, it's what makes it even more difficult for the Islanders is really twofold. One is obviously finding the right deal talent for talent. There are plenty of teams out there, and, and I should also note that Travis Hamannick obviously wants to be close to home, which is Winnipeg. So he's ideally like to go to a Western Canadian team or maybe even the uh, the Minnesota Wild might have worked as well. So we're talking we're only talking about a handful of teams here. Um, but the Islanders are going to see a defenseman back in the deal that is a you know a very good defenseman, not someone who's going to be a third pairing kind of defenseman. Um, so basically they're going to be looking to trade defense for defense. And one would think let's let's take the Edmonton Oilers as an example. Uh, who would love to play at Hamannick, but, you know, who are they going to trade to the Islanders in terms of a, a, a defenseman that's going to make it work? And the Islanders obviously do not want to weaken their team. The other aspect, even if the Islanders can match up talent for talent or a deal that works for the Islanders in terms of not weakening their team, be it if it's just this one deal or it's a three-way deal or if it's where they have to make two trades, is the salary cap and contract ramifications. Uh, Hamannick, uh, in this day of the NHL salary cap, has a golden contract, if you will. He signed a seven-year deal a couple of years ago for a little under $28 million that came out to slightly under $3.86 million a year uh, in terms of uh, annual value uh, as well as cap hit. So a uh, player of his ilk, uh, you know, top four defenseman, I would call him kind of a frontline, second-pairing defenseman. Uh, that's a tremendous deal. And he is signed for another four seasons after this one. So when you take Kamenek, who is coming into his own, to say the least, just getting better and better, uh, who's only 25 years of age, you take the talent, you take uh, the, the contract, the salary cap implications of, of that contract, it's gonna. It's going to be hard for the Islanders to pull up a deal where they get fair value, and that you know is uh, going to be a tricky term. Because when I say fair value, I'm not just talking about again uh, assets in a trade. It's also assets in terms of one's contract and the salary cap. And obviously, the Islanders do not want to weaken their team uh, for the, uh, for this year. So uh, you know, adding prospects or picks to make the deal work while Big picture is great, but the Islanders are a team or a franchise loaded with uh, young people, young players on their roster, and they have a flood of, you know, they have a good group of prospects 
knocking on the door. So, and keep in mind, they're not really in a perfect world, but then they were, wouldn't be looking to trade Hamannik. So, there's a lot of complications to this. They are going to try to do the right thing because uh, I might be biased, but that's what the Islanders are. And again, last point, uh, Hamannik said wanted to make it clear, and he was very upset that this became public that the Islanders have treated him like gold. This is a quote. He's been treated like gold since they've drafted him. So um, we'll have to see how it plays out. Uh, the locker room, everything seems well. He spoke to his teammates who had no idea, and they're a very close group of players. So uh, it's a, almost like a brotherhood with that. It's been a strength of the team uh, as they've rebuilt it. So that's pretty much where we stand. Just listening to you go over that uh, with the, the Edmonton thing, um, how would how would you feel about uh, Andre Sakara coming over for that? He's on a new six-year, six million dollar deal, so it's going to cost you guys two point two or so against the cap more than you're already playing. But he's kind of a player who could plug into a top four role and still, you know, let them be a competitive franchise this season like you say they are loaded with prospects and loaded with young talent at the big league club um that 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 would be a piece correct though if memory serves correct though i believe isn't secure 31 years of age not that that's an old man or anything so but you're buying in years 31 through 37 so i would worry about the back half of that contract if i was the islanders gm and say you know i would want more more than that, uh, to be quite to be quite honest, because you much you, if you were starting a team tomorrow, who would you rather have? Hamannik at twenty five and his his contract, or Sakara at thirty one and his contract? So uh, I think Hamannik knows that uh, you know the Islanders also have to do right by the franchise uh, in terms of the organization, the players, the fans. So he knows that they can't just deal for the. He's not going to be dealt. Well, this is the best deal we can get, so we're going to do we're going to do this. There's a lot of implications when you make a deal, especially like I just said in the case of Sakara, who agreed with you wholeheartedly in terms of this year, the next year or two. But when you look at his contract and his age, you know when he's 35 years old, maybe he's no maybe he's now a third carrying defenseman and he's making six and a half. I believe his number is six and a half million a year. So you have to. That's where, you know, these the salary cap and the contracts get complicated. You have to right. you know, uh, you have to look at the forest, not just not the not just the trees. So that's why making the deal for Hamannick is um, is a bit complicated. So um, um, Well the other thing is the other thing is, and I think Dan can touch on this a little bit too, because um, if I remember back a few years ago the Shea Weber incident well, I wouldn't say incident, but uh, he came out and said that he wouldn't mind moving on, uh, and he also is, is by all accounts a character guy. And once once those things go public, it kind of hamstrings. Didn't didn't Shea end up getting offer sheeted, Dan? And then uh, yeah, he got he got offer sheeted by the Flyers. Uh, that's right. They ponied up a bunch of money, and uh, the Predators waited until the last minute uh, to. Uh, to extend his deal, they uh, the Predators are a team that tries to live within their means. They don't like to be up against the cap. I think they're uh, twelve million dollars uh, free of the cap, so they've got space to uh, sign um, Seth Jones and Philip Forsberg to their extensions coming up at the end of the year. But uh, they they haven't been hot on this whole thing about should we re-sign Shea Weber? But he was afraid to face of the franchise, excuse me, and uh, they. Uh, they signed him, and him and Rene are the only two giant deals that the Predators have. But, yeah, it, it takes a lot of work, and uh, I really feel bad for what's going on with the Hamonic situation. I know he wants to go home and everything, but uh, if you've only got four or five dance partners and everything, that's really going to limit the options the Islanders have. Yeah, and, and like like I was saying, when once those things become public, um, in the Kings history, uh, when we had Ryan Smith, he came out like during during camp that he wanted to be traded back to Edmonton, and the I mean he had a huge I think he was on a six million dollar deal with the Kings, and they ended up I think they got a prospect and an injured Colin Fraser who was our fourth line center in the first Stanley Cup run in 2012, so not not fair returns, but handcuffing the general managers by by letting these things get public or whoever leaked it and i don't know chris was saying that it didn't get leaked from 
the franchise, but from another source in the National Hockey League. Um, that makes it that makes it all the more complicated. He, he's not happy he got a leak because, like I said, he's no dummy. He realizes that this makes a difficult situation in terms of pulling off a trade more difficult. Sure. So, if anything, uh, the fact that this got leaked uh, is more likelihood that it will take to the off season uh, when there's a little bit more flexibility to get this resolved. Uh, like I said, I think the Islanders would like to. Uh, make it all work, um, but we'll have to see. Uh, I will say this as my last point. Those teams, that, you know, the Minnesotas, the Winnipegs, the Calgarys, uh, the Edmontons, those who really would love to add him to their team, if they were smart cookies, they would look at this as a golden opportunity and say, you know what, I'm not going to be play hardball with the Islanders and say, like, oh, you know, because I know that Garzo – is not going to be a pushover and trade me Travis Hamanek with his contract uh, on 60 cents on the dollar. But if I approach him and roll up my sleeves and say, okay, let's talk, let's really make this work, I think you have a chance, that team has a chance to really have a golden opportunity to land a player like this. And again, in the salary cap world, that Ed, you know, I might be biased, but uh, I think he's a first pairing, uh, first pairing on the second pairing defenseman, if that makes any sense. Yeah, um, number three you know, defenseman. I, I think that, yeah, number three defenseman. I think you have a golden opportunity here. And uh, if, uh, if these teams were smart, they wouldn't play uh, the up. They wouldn't play the high hand. They would play the smart hand, and they could wind up landing them Travis Hamanek. So we'll, we'll we'll see how that all how that all shakes out. Obviously, there's an incredible amount of interest from those teams. Uh, but we'll have, we'll have to say. One thing, and you did mention it in your Hockey Writers article, that uh, um, might be a, a piece would be a Dustin Bufflin, and Garth Snow does have the history of gambling on taking on a UFA by trading assets, um, hoping that he can make a, you know, re-sign him. Uh, Winnipeg a, would have to, and then Winnipeg would be able to do this, uh, because, uh, not to plug Hockey Futures, but I will, uh, in their spring rankings, Hockey Futures ranked Winnipeg the number one uh, in terms of farm system pipeline in the sport. And then they had a, and that was pre the, the 2015 draft, where all they did was they had two more first round picks and the number 47 pick as well. So they had three picks in the top 47. I think a deal like that could work, provided that Winnipeg also sent uh, a top prospect in the deal. Like, let's say, just, I'm just spitballing here. Let's say they offer the Islanders Bufflin and Kyle Connor. Ooh, uh, for I Hamlet. love that. <laughs> you know, so yeah, I don't know about. I'm sorry about. I, but I also I know about the Islanders goaltending situation about Thomas Grice or Halak. Uh, but uh, would it like something like a Connor Halak be on the table? I know he's basically getting an audition uh, with the uh, with the injury of one of the Winnipeg's goalies. Yeah, I wonder though because both of their goalies, I forget, I forget which one. One's a UFA in the next uh, the next year or so, and one's an RFA. And I wonder because uh, uh, the goalie you mentioned, Dan, is regarded on Hockey Futures list as the 40th best prospect in the sport. And I wonder if they view him as their goalie of the future. But if right. if they be, but if if they were willing to. Put, uh, and they're deep. They have a very deep, obviously, they have the best prospect. Again, according to Hockey Futures, they have the best uh, cupboard in the sport. So if they were willing to take one of those really good pieces, put them in the deal, and then the Allen would say, okay, we have Buffalo for the rest of the year. Different kind of player, but still a strong defenseman. He can bring a lot of uh, things to our team. Uh, we'll let him walk at the end of the year because we're not going to give a six- or seven-year deal to a 31-year-old guy. But when right. the smoke clears, I'm just using Kyle O'Connor as an example. We'll have mm-hmm. Kyle O'Connor. So in terms of short-term and long-term, that works for us. It works for Winnipeg because they're getting really good value back. They're getting a guy uh, that can uh, help lead their young team who's young himself at a great cap number. So that's a possibility if they were willing to give up one of those kind of prize prospects. Chris, uh, Chris or, or, uh, we're up against a break here. I hate to cut you off, but we're going to have to cut this right here. We'll pick it up after the break. All right, thanks for listening to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. We're talking with Dan Mount from Dan Mount Sports. 
covering Predators Talk. This episode can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, and on HockeyTalkRadio.us, the Internet's first 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week streaming Hockey Talk all, all the time. Check it out. All right, and we're back. Um, we were just finishing up talking about the Travis Monick deal where uh, Dan had, had brought up maybe a, a goaltending prospect thrown in the way, but I really I really like Kyle Connor. We talked quite a bit about him at the draft, and I was kind of hoping with the Kings pick there, instead of trading it away for Lucic, that they would take Kyle Connor if he was still available. Um, that, that would fit in really well with where the Islanders are headed, Chris. Yeah, like you said, I think Winnipeg, obviously, from you know, that's Hamannick's hometown. So from from uh, Hamannick's standpoint, it would be the optimal situation. Uh, I think he would be a great fit for Winnipeg. Uh, the question is, would the Islanders be willing to do it in terms of Buffalo and then let Buffalo walk? I, I don't think. I think they would like, uh, from a short term standpoint, they would love to add Buffalo to the team. I don't think they are very smart when it comes to signing players, so I think they'd be very leery about giving a 31-year-old player. Uh, not that Buffalo doesn't have uh, a strong two, three years left in him, to say the least, but that's the problem with you signing someone at 31. Uh, you know, you're paying them uh, big money when they're 35, 36, 37, so they're usually pretty shrewd about those kind of moves, but if they can get a top prospect in return, and that, that would satisfy the team's needs, both short and long term, so be it we were just talking off air. Let's say a Josh Morrissey, who was right there ranked at a similar level as Kyle O'Connor, but he's a defenseman, uh, or a Kyle O'Connor as an example. So uh, I think I think there's a possibility there um, uh, to keep in mind. So you know we'll see how it plays out. Uh, you know and how much Winnipeg uh, would be willing to move those pieces. Again, this is where trades get complicated. They might be in love with those two prospects I just mentioned. They might say, like, look, we'll do buffling in one of our secondary prospects, like a Brandon Lemieux, but we're not touching one of those guys. Well, like Kyle Connor or Josh Morrissey. Well, if that happens, then uh, I, I don't I don't see them as a dance partner. So uh, it takes two to tango. So, you know, so it, it, it will be interesting to see uh, how, how much Winnipeg would love to bring them back up. The local boy, and that, that would be actually obviously a big selling card as well to their fans and their organization as well, bringing home a local kid as well. So yeah, that's something to keep in mind. Well, let's get right into Dan's wheelhouse again. We're here with Dan Mount uh, at Dan Mount Sports on Twitter. He's the Predators contributor for the Hockey Writers. Um, let's get right into it with Nashville. They're twelve six and three. They're sitting third in the Central, um, one point ahead of the defending champ Blackhawks. Um, and they've they've gone through their their scoring drafts. It's kind of typical of of the Nashville Predators of the last few years, where they're built goaltending and defense. Uh, Minnesota's only two points back. So my first question, Dan, is can they maintain or or increase their position there in a very tough Central Division? Well, it is pretty hard. Though. I mean, remember the Nashville Predators just had a. Uh, had two games about a week and a half ago where they scored seven goals. They scored seven goals against Ottawa. They scored seven goals against the Winnipeg Jets. I mean, sometimes these dry spells happen. I mean, the three goalies, as I mentioned in my article earlier in the week, I mean, the three goalies were Devin Dubnik, Sergei Bobrovsky, and Henrik Lengthel. Anybody's going to have a hard time scoring on them, especially uh, when you got guys like Philip Forsberg not firing in all cylinders. Mike Fisher just snapped out of an eight-game scoreless streak. I mean, Colin Wilson has gone by 14 games without a goal and everything. It's been a pretty frustrating uh, seeing the Wings not score. Luckily, the uh, defense, uh, Roman Yossi, Shea Weber, have been fantastic at scoring goals. I mean, you have Matthias Eckholm is chipping in goals when he can, and you've got the fourth line that's done really well. I mean, uh no matter who they put out there on that fourth line, I mean, Eric Nystrom, Paul Gostad, uh, Mika Salamaki, who just went on the uh, injured reserve, I mean, and Austin Watson, you just keep putting guys out there, and that fourth line, they keep doing the things they're supposed to do. So uh, it isn't really lousy to see them not scoring, but there are some good things about them. I mean, and uh, they snapped out against Buffalo, and they've got a shot with some of the upcoming schedule against Philadelphia and seeing Buffalo again. So he's got a chance to break out of a little funk. Now, with uh, I, was looking, I was looking over the stats um, getting ready for the show, and Peck is sitting at 
25th in the league with save percentage at a .91. And his goals against, he's 16th in the league at a 2.31. Is this consensus that his game has slipped a little bit, or is it just a, a product of – Earlier in the season, he hasn't he hasn't gotten into into shape yet, or is or is the feeling that Peck is pretty much playing his you know usual stellar game, one of the top five goalies in the National Hockey League, um, and that maybe the defense in front of him isn't quite playing up to where they need to be up to be to be successful. Sorry about that. <laughs> I missed the last part of the question. Did you repeat that? Um, yeah, I was just with with Pecorino's stats being middle of the pack or lower this year. Is there a feeling that maybe his play has slipped a little bit, or is it more that the defense in front of him hasn't really been up to par yet? Well, I, I think this team's got a good shot to uh, contend in the Central Division. I mean, Dallas has uh, really gone off to one hell of a start. You Absolutely, know, but they did they did lose uh, Carrie Lett, Lettman to the DL, uh, the injured reserve. They're going to have uh, bring up Jack Campbell, so. You're going to see a lot of anti Niemi in that, so there might be a chance to catch up with him there. I mean, the Blackhawks are still stirring, and uh, that division is going to be a minefield. I've I've joked several times on Twitter. If you can correctly predict the Central Division, uh, we're going to take a road trip and put some money down on on, uh, on some of the numbers on the roulette wheel. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm in the I'm in the city for that. <laughs> um, Chris, you want to jump in? Yeah, actually, uh, I want to understand about a couple questions. Uh, first off, uh, you know, Eric Nystrom, uh, very good bloodlines in, in, that, in that player, to say the least. The old, mm-hmm. His dad, of course, was Bobby Nystrom, the great Islander, uh, four-time Stanley Cup winner. Uh, but uh, Philippe Forsberg, so what has been going on with him? Not that he's playing, I don't want to say he's playing poorly, but obviously not on the same level he was last year. Uh, is it kind of, you know, the expectations after just uh, an incredible rookie year, if you will, trying to do too much? Well, he has been do- really good at his advanced stats. I mean, his course, he's been really well. He's one of the best possession players on the Predators. And he had a chance to score Saturday night against the Rangers, but Kevin Klein made that uh, one heck of a play to uh, stop him with that glove stop when Lundqvist was uh, out of position. So, uh He's had a little puck luck against him, but uh, I think Forsberg, when he breaks out, you're going to see a run of like three or four goals in the three or four consecutive games and everything because it's going to it's going to come eventually, and he's doing all the right things. It's just it's not going in, but uh, he's not just sitting back and he's trying to make things happen. When I did last year the list of the top five Predators' goals, I got a lot of suggestions on Forsberg, and a lot of those goals that I looked into where Forsberg following up a shot, not giving up on a play, and makes getting a second-chance goal. I mean, you don't teach – that doesn't come naturally. He's, he works hard. I mean, a lot of guys can just skate by on talent. But Forsberg is just fantastic at not giving up on a play and getting a second chance or a third opportunity to score the goal. I mean, that's one thing that is uh, is unteachable. You know, that's, his instinct for, around the net is very good. I think once something happens, it's going to break out. Right, right. My next question is kind of a two two prong question: is um, is one currently constituted? Do you think the if the Predators this is their team some playoff time? Uh, is this a team capable of making a deep run, or do they need to go out and get another forward who can help them in terms of scoring goals? And if so, um, where would that come from? Do they have uh, the prospects, uh, you know, uh, to deal to land such a player, or I mean, of course, they could always trade their first round pick, and and would they have the, would they be willing to do that, sacrifice uh, a bit of their future, uh, you know, to land such a player, even if it was a rental? Well, I know one thing that they definitely need some faceoff help. I mean, they're towards the bottom of the league in uh, faceoff wins. I mean. Paul Gostad, uh, who's really one of their only better face-off men, he's on the fourth line. You see Mike Ribeiro, Mike Fisher, and uh, and Cody Hawkins, and they all struggle for winning uh, on the face-off guy. I think uh, with the pickup of Peter Granberg, I think you're going to see some sort of deal eventually at the deadline to try to get a, a decent center. I mean, they've got a few prospects. They've got Kevin Fiala, the Swiss player. Uh, he's kind of struggled a little in Milwaukee. 
you might see him get dealt. You might see I mean, like a third or fourth line player uh, get dealt as just sort of an enticement to try to get a number one center. The Predators have cap room, but they also have to worry about the Jones and Forsberg extensions coming up. Uh, I mean, like I said, I've loved Mike Fisher and I love Mike Ribeiro, but they're not top line centers. They're second and third line guys. I mean, they if they get a number one center or some guy that can uh, really help Wilson Smith and their great winners out, I think the Predators can make a playoff run, but I think it's continued on that. Well, the, would, you, would you say that if you had a wish list fan, would Eric Stoll be uh, high on a wish list for the Predators? That's a, temp- that's a tempting offer. I mean, I know the, the Hurricanes need some defensive help, but you know they locked up, the uh, Predators locked up Matthias Ekholm earlier in the season and everything, and, uh, and the Jones extension is coming up. You're not going to try Shea Weber or Roman Yossius. Forget it. I think the guy you could possibly see traded is a line out. I mean, he is a pretty good, he's a very good guy that's on the third pair. I mean, I think you could arguably put him on the second pair or something. But uh, I know Carolina would love to have a have some defensive help, and I think Stahl would be a nice little target for them. Yeah, a lot. I mean, that would be a nice little target for a lot of teams. Yeah, you would. What uh, What's coming up uh, on the wings there that, that – is like knocking on the door from the AHL that that uh, if you get an injury or or barring the unforeseen would would step in on on the top two lines there and provide some scoring punch. Well, you've gotten a lot of uh, help on the fourth line actually from uh, Colton Sisson. He did a really good job in the in the uh, game against Anaheim uh, a couple of weeks ago where they won three to two. Sisson was throwing out hits. He uh, got his first goal I think against, in that blowout against Winnipeg. He is a uh, he's a future guy that you might want to look at. Fiala's been struggling, like I said, but they want him to be a first or second line guy if he doesn't get traded. I'm really surprised that Steve Moses, the former uh, KHL scoring record holder, has really struggled down there as well. I think he uh, was expecting an easier time cracking the lineup, but uh, there, like I said, there are great wingers on this Nashville team. Well, one one thing about Nashville, and it's kind of a parallel to the Kings, is that they're the last few years the Kings have gone through the regular season. Even when they won the Cup in 2012, they got in on the last day as the twelfth, as the eighth seed in the West, and they were sixth seed in the West, I believe, when they won their second Cup against the Rangers. Their style of play is, and this kind of goes to Chris's question. If they can make a deep playoff run, the problem the problem with the style of play on both those franchises is getting through the regular season when things are a little bit more loosey goosey. Teams are going back and forth up the ice a little bit more more entertaining, offensively oriented brand of hockey. But uh, that that kind of team, let's throw the Washington Capitals from a few years ago when they won the Presidents Cup and got bounced in the first round. <coughs> Excuse me, those teams aren't constituted really to make a deep playoff run. And I would argue that the Nashville Predators, with the uh, goaltending and defense core that they have, and the the, the like you said, the plethora of, of grinding, gritty third, third, second, fourth line wingers, um, very deep in that stat. Um, I think that they could make a deep playoff run. In fact, if I remember right, last year in their first round series, um, plenty of chances to win that series and move on. And do you think that the experience that the group has uh, garnered from last year's uh, experience in the playoffs is going to help them going forward. we got about a minute left to get into that. Absolutely. I think uh, the, the young guys getting a taste and everything really helped. But I also think that they had a more, have had more of a chance if Shea Weber were around. I mean, Weber, he injured himself, I think, in game two it was. Yep. Against the uh, against the black against the Blackhawks and Mike Fisher was out there for the first three games. Had they been around, I think they would have probably won, could have won the series. But they stood toe to toe with the Hawks and they kept punching them until the very end. So uh, I, I really like this uh, team's chances, provided they get some scoring. I agree. I agree. Well, let's take this out to the break, and if you could hang over for the for the next segment, we'll wrap things up and let you go enjoy your Thanksgiving weekend. Awesome. All right, and we'll be right back. 
Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of the podcast. This is the Vegas Hockey Podcast, and you can find this episode on iTunes, SoundCloud, and on HockeyTalkRadio.us, the Internet's first 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week streaming radio format, Hockey Talk. Check it out. And we're back from the break. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in and listening. We're doing some Nashville Predators talk today with Dan Mount. He's the Predators contributor at thehockeywriters.com. Um, at Dan Mount Sports on Twitter, you can follow him and link to any Predators content that he has. Um, finishing up there, Chris, we were talking. Talking. Yeah, I think I think you had one more question to go on on what they were where they're headed this season, Chris. Yeah, I mean, I think a big key for the Predators is, is going to be their, the Bulls, where they finish in the division in terms of, you know, I do fully expect them to be a playoff team to say the least, but mm-hmm. where they finish and, and their success in the playoffs is, is improving that power play. Uh, if memory serves correct, I want to say they struggled a bit with it last year, and, uh, you know, this year they're all flipping a slow start as well. They're going into today's action. Day after Thanksgiving, they're ranked 21st. So, uh, uh, how do you feel about that, Dan? In terms of uh, getting that power play, uh, you know, moving up in the standings, if you will. Well, that power play is actually doing really well to begin the season. I mean, they were humming along pretty well. Um, I think a lot of teams have co- tried to concentrate on disrupting the point play of uh, Roman Yossi and Shea Weber. I mean, if you give any space to them, Yossi could probably find anybody in any window if you give him an opportunity. And we all know about Shea Weber's uh, tremendous slap shot, you know. Sure. And uh, I think a lot of havoc is caused by the two of them at the point. If uh, Weber gets a free, uh, free space and gets a chance to drive it, he can almost drive the puck through the net. And uh, Yossi's very creative as well. And uh, I think a lot of the concentration is to try to not get it down to uh, disrupt the point so they can't get guys in free, free uh, opportunities in front of that. I mean, like Fisher said a couple of weeks ago when they were having their little slump, because we've got to be better in front of the net. They've had opportunities to score uh, easy garbage tipping goals and everything, but they just not come through. I mean, if that can fix itself, I think Nashville can do it pretty well. But like we were talking uh, off the air and everything, we are talking they need one big guy, I think a big four, and even he's a rental to really have this team go far. And continuing on with the special teams uh, talk, their their penalty kill again this year has been fantastic. As it's a staple of defensive goal oriented teams, are they're they're right up near the top of the league, aren't they, Dan? Yeah, they're right at the top of the league. Uh, they're a pretty simple approach and everything. Uh, I mean, they they stay, they don't lose their shape. They are always very disciplined. They cover shooting lines very well and. And Pecorino, he's fantastic at not giving you any opportunity for any juicy rebounds or anything. I mean, that's one thing he does really well is he uh, he doesn't give you a second chance to score. You don't really have to beat him with your first chance, and your first chance has got to be pretty special to get by him. Yeah, and one more thing we were talking off the air again about the Harvard kid. You want to go into a little bit about what he's where, where that's at and uh, what he's going to bring? Well, uh, Jimmy Davey, the uh, kid from Harvard, um, he was drafted in um, he was drafted in 2012. He had four years, remember, to sign a uh, 2013. Excuse me. You got three years to sign your deal and everything uh, out of uh, after being drafted, or else you go into the pool and become a free agent and everything. He hasn't signed that deal as of yet, but uh, players have been pursuing him and everything. Hopefully, uh, after the uh, Harvard season wraps up, David Poyle. The uh, general manager really wants him. He said that Beasy was pro ready. They want. They tried to make a pitch to him last year, but uh, Beasy wants to finish out his college degree. He wants to get it at Harvard. And uh, Peter Chirelli, uh now Oilers uh, GM, when he was at the Bruins, was chirping because Chirelli went to Harvard and said, uh, "You know, you don't get many opportunities to get a, a Harvard degree." So uh, he's just fine where he is. I think it was a matter of Chirelli not wanting to face a guy who's, uh, like he said, pro ready uh, already. <laughs> No, and I gotta agree with that. Dan, do you think it's gonna be a problem uh, in terms of his agent whispering in his ear? Obviously, uh, you know, uh, if he doesn't sign, he wouldn't. He, I guess, he, would he become a free agent? I guess July one, and then and then all of a sudden, at a very young age, uh, 
he would be a free agent, uh, is that going to be a complication in terms of getting him signed, or you feel like that's something Predator fans would not, are not going to have to worry about? Well, I've heard differing opinions and everything about uh, some say he is confident that he will watch uh, his commitment to Nashville. There are other sources say that Toronto, uh, there was a team that's notorious for doing this, uh, will uh, try to pick up any uh, college free agent. They've uh, done it a few times in the history where a college kids let their uh, draft uh, rights expire and then the Maple uh, Leafs come in and swoop on them. Uh, I think BCC gets on the open market could control can commit a few dollars, but uh, all in all, I'm leaning more towards eighty twenty that he will sign with Nashville because he won't have to go through the line. I don't think he'll have to go to Milwaukee. I think he can make the main roster right away. Interesting, interesting. Well, the, I think that's going to wrap us up here on this segment. Dan, is there anything else you wanted to get out there? Just uh, follow me at the Hockey Writers Game on Sports is my uh, handle on Twitter. And uh, hey, thanks for having me on. I hope you guys have a wonderful uh, holiday season. No, absolutely, absolutely, and you as well, you as well. As we get farther into the season, we'd sure like to have you back. been a great guest for us, and we'll be in touch uh, maybe after the All-Star break or, or around the trade deadline. If there if there's any big, big moves, we'll be back in touch to talk about them. Awesome. I, I, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it so very much. All right. Thank you, sir, and again, have a great holiday weekend. Awesome. Take care. All right, Chris. Well, another another fantastic guest we got going on here, huh? Yeah, yeah. Dan really, uh, really. Uh, that was that was the interesting watch about the Harvard case. So, uh, uh, but yeah, no, definitely. Predators are an interesting team. Uh, they're definitely uh, one of many contending teams out west, and uh, it, you know, like most uh, teams, they they seem to have that one you know the one thing that they have to work on to take that next yeah. uh, I think Nashville falls into that category but should be very interesting that, that, yeah, it, it's going to be nice that people are going to pay attention to Nashville because they're in the Oscar break down there this year you know it's going to be nice to hey uh, we've got a team down here that's actually very good and you might want to pay attention to it I mean I've often joked that Romeo Nose is the best defense you've never heard of yeah, for reals, for reals. All right, that's going to take care of it for this episode of the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Uh, we might come back and do one more l- real quick segment on uh, where the rest of the league is here in just a minute after we let Dan go. So, Dan, once again, thank you so much for coming on the show, and we'll be back in touch. All right, that was Dan Mount from at Dan Mount Sports on Twitter. He's covering the Preds for us. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of the Vegas Hockey Podcast. We're talking with Dan Mount. This episode can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, and on HockeyTalkRadio.us, the Internet's first 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week radio format, all hockey talk, all the time. Check it out. And we're back from the break. Thanks again for tuning in. Uh, great work by Dan Mount. Uh, great insight into the, where the Predators are and, and what they might need going forward. Uh, did a great job. Did a great job. Look forward to talking to him around the All-Star game where the the Predators are hosting this year. That's going to be a good time. Absolutely. I guess we, we should talk about the Dallas Stars uh, uh, leading the Central. Yeah. We talked a lot of Central with Dan. Seventeen and five record, seventeen uh, five and zero record going into uh, day after Thanksgiving. First in the league in goals per game at three point six one, where most teams are struggling mightily to get anywhere close to three goals per game. They're at three point six one. Second power play unit in the sport, almost twenty seven percent. You know their defensive numbers are not going to blow you away. They're pretty good. Uh, uh, you know, they're 13th in terms of goals against. Power play is 18th. You know, the bottom line is they're getting much improved play in terms of their team defense, uh, both forwards, defensemen, much better goaltending from Miami and, and Kerry Lettinen, who, who is on the, just got put on the IR. Not sure how long he'll be out. But when you have that kind of offense producing, uh, at least for the regular season, and, you know, you know your defense is good, uh, that's going to, uh, that's going to put up a very impressive record. Obviously, Ben, Jamie Ben, Tyler Sagan are uh, doing tremendous. They're on top, uh, 
We're fighting for the league leading and uh, for the scoring title. The young uh, defenseman Klingberg has got 24 points in 22 games. And Mark, you brought this up uh, in the pre because you were high on Dallas in the pre-shows before the season. Uh, you know the uh, effect of Patrick Sharp and Johnny Oduya coming to the team, and they're not just helping in terms of in the locker room. Uh, you know Patrick Sharp is one of their top point producers. He's got eight goals and 18 points, so he still has plenty of game left. Absolutely. Well, so yeah, so this is a, you know they're off to a tremendous start to say the least. So. Uh, uh, you know, one of the best records in the sport, and it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, and, you know, that they still can improve. They still can play a little bit better team defense, you know. Well, you were saying a second ago off the air that, uh, what did you say, that 17-5 and five is their record, but two of those losses are against the Maple Leafs, so. Um, yeah, we'll figure, yeah. 17-3-0 <laughs> and against the, against the rest of the league. Not, nothing against Toronto, but, you know, the, the Leafs are probably one of the bottom five teams in the sport, to say the least. Oh and two, so you can't make it up sometimes. Yeah, really. And the, the, what impresses me is that I think widely, widely agreed, the Central is is probably the best best division in hockey this year. And to pull out a seventeen and three, uh, mostly obviously playing against that division, um, I think that alone bodes well for them uh, in a playoff run. Because once once you're battle tested like that. I mean, we were talking with with Dan there about styles of play being conducive to the playoffs as opposed to being conducive to success in the regular season. And you know, at first glance, you're looking at at the offensive prowess this team does have, and maybe not a a playoff style. But like you said, with Sharp and Oduya there and uh, leading leading in the locker room as well as on the ice, they're going to. I think going through the season, if they can hang on the rest of the way, and there's still a long way to go, of course, but uh, leading leading the pack at the quarter pole in the Central Division, to me anyway, speaks volumes about where this team is as an ability to com- just flat out compete night in and night out, Maple Leafs games not included. Um, <laughs> Uh, that it just tells me it just tells me there might be a different Dallas squad there than what we've seen in the last couple of years as far as where their mental makeup is. And this team more extremes to me as a team that come before the trade deadline will be uh, heavily involved in the trade market, even if it's a rental for a solid defense, you know, solid defensive defenseman with given the rest of their roster. Uh, a Willie Mitchell type if he were to become available on the market. Someone along, uh, which I know you know a lot about him. Oh, yeah. He's the king. So, uh, you know, you take a, if they can land a player like that, you know, kind of, you know, to go along with their team, uh, I, I think, uh, you know, they, they could be a, it could be a fun playoff time down in Dallas. For sure. And since you brought it up, uh, Matt Pryor is going to be joining us next week, and he covers both the Dallas Stars and the Florida Panthers. So that'll be a question we'll have to get to him next week. He's going to come back in and talk a little bit more in depth about the Dallas Stars' hot start and and what what's brought them to that point besides the the Ben and Sagan scoring. Um, so it'll be it'll be fun to have him back on. Absolutely, and maybe we'll throw a question or two about the Panthers. So we'll kind of teetering around a little around 500 at Atlantic, that uh, funky Atlantic division. But uh, also, uh, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about the Ducks, uh, uh, Mark. It seems like uh, every time you think that they're about to take off, they kind of step their toe again. Yeah, I don't think they have it. I don't think they have it in Anaheim, and maybe, maybe because I'm a Kings fan, that uh, it's always good to poke fun at the Ducks. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think Getzloff. He had that game seven last year against the Blackhawks that he just literally and figuratively just fell on his face. And no, no, no offense. Don't come looking for me. Um, but just, I don't know if that has any effect on this season. Whether expectations up there in Anaheim before the season started didn't really mesh with what happened during the off season when they went through a tremendous roster turnover there. But definitely at the at the quarter pole again. Um, looking, you know, we're a quarter of the way into the season, twenty twenty two games, whatever, and still uh, struggling fifth place there in the Pacific Division behind Phoenix, who they lost to the other night. Um, 
I don't know really. I mean, I, I don't expect Phoenix, although they do have the great young dynamic D's in, in Duclair and Domi, and Boddicker is having a, a great season um, so far. I don't see them maintaining that stretch, but they would still have to pass either San Jose or a rejuvenated San Jose squad or the Vancouver Canucks to get into that third place to even make the playoffs. And the farther we go into the season, the more it looks like both wild cards, both wild cards are going to come out of the the central division. Um, I think that's the consensus. So if Anaheim doesn't get that third third slot in the Pacific uh, sewn up, they're going to have a heck of a time. I don't even think they'll make the playoffs. And they were many many people's preseason sexy pick to go on go on and win the cup this year. I don't know how much of the ducks you see out there in Long Island, but uh, I, it's going to yeah, be no, a I, long I, way I to go. December is a pretty good month for them. Uh, December is a very big month for them, and I wonder how much on the table will be if uh, they if they don't really start getting it rolling over the next week or two of possibly a coaching change. So uh, it's something to watch. Well, we're waiting for them to kind of take off and, you know, put one of those streaks together with those seven, you know, a team goes seven and one or win eight out of ten, you know, that kind of thing, and, and get in position and, you know, maybe, you know, at the end of the day they won't win the division, but you're not going to have to sweat making the playoffs, you know. One other thing I wanted to mention is that we talked about it, I believe the last podcast, too, was, you know, when John Torello taking over the Blue Jackets, and, you know, him and Mr. Johansson, you know, I believe he, what was the reason, Mark, again, the way he missed the game? He was, he was under the weather or was something along, there was something gelling out in Columbus, uh, that, or not gelling between, yeah. uh, Tortolo and, and Johansson. And, of course, we all remember last summer they, they had a very cantankerous, uh, contract negotiation with, with Johansson. And now you see his names all over the trade rumor mill, if you will. And again, they're rumors, but I think there's a little bit more fire than smoke to this one. I wouldn't be shocked if they uh, if they uh, change, mix up their roster a bit, and uh, move Johansson out uh, uh, to acquire, uh, you know, maybe a defenseman and a forward kind of trade. Uh, how do you feel about that? Well, the the game, yeah. He- that that he sat out was directly after i think it was either towards his first or second game he publicly called out uh ryan johansson for being not in good enough shape to play and then that's right oddly enough the next game he had an illness undisclosed and i don't know i've heard people say that it was just towards sitting him down saying you're gonna have to you're gonna have to fix yourself here real quick um but I quietly they've they've kind of I mean I think they were around 500 the first two or three games with Torch, but now I think I think they're five and two in their last seven, and maybe maybe things are starting to settle a little bit on on that that front, if you will. And I don't know. We'll have to see going forward if the tension bubbles to the surface and and they would actually consider moving. That would be that would be interesting because. I he's signed for longer than the coach, and I don't know. Torch has his history of getting to a point where to the team the team had enough of him. So it would take a lot to convince management to move a player like that. I think, um, especially after you just locked him up to a longer longer term deal. But I think quietly they're turning yeah, the page. Go ahead. I I want to say what did he sign for? Was it four years, twelve million, something along those lines? Something like that. Pretty reasonable. Yeah, I think it was, uh, but it was it was very contested that summer, uh, and I wonder how much uh, her feelings were between management and him, and and how much management would be open to again. And then again, they're not going to look to give him away or anything. I'm not saying anything like that, but you know they do have some holes in that roster, and if they could get a defenseman, you know, for him, uh, let's say a, uh, like a nice, you know, a uh, forward. They do have a couple people in the pipeline coming. Uh, I know they have a, a very strong prospect from Long Island, I want to say, from uh, named Sonny Milano, uh, keep an eye out for. Um, but um, 
Yeah, it'll be something to follow because, like I said, there, you know, there, there seems to be a little, you know, when I saw that name pop out, I said, hmm, that's very interesting. And there's been a lot in the rumor mill, but we'll have to see. Yeah, real quick, uh, we got only a couple minutes left. I wanted to talk about a little Vegas hockey news. Um, this this week, uh, uh, another blog that's picked up the the Vegas hockey scene here as as Mr. Foley has has gone through his endeavors to land a NHL franchise for Las Vegas. Uh, the Sin Bin, if you guys want to follow them on Twitter at the Sin Bin. Um, they they kind of broke the story this week that uh, Clark County is going to 100% finance the practice facility, which is within going to be within a few miles of the new arena over on in the southwest part of town. For those of you who know Vegas, Durango, and Warm Springs, there's a site out there that's been pro- projected to you know be the practice facility, and now it's been confirmed through through the city council and the sin bin that the council is going to pay 100% to have the practice facility built in the event of an awarded NHL franchise. There's already a deal in place. It's also going to be used for a youth hockey rink to go with the other major youth hockey rink in town, the, the uh, oh the, the Ice House, I believe it's called, over on Flamingo. Um, so that's that's they're going to you know run run youth leagues and – have have ice time available for the community as well as being the host rink for our Las Vegas team when they announce it. And I'm going to go on record right now saying that that announcement's going to be at the All Star Game in Nashville. I'm saying it. That's what I feel. Um, I know they like to take advantage of all the media spotlight to make their major announcements at the uh, NHL office there, and that'll be the next major. I don't think it'll be as early as the Winter Classic, although I was kind of hoping for that. But I think when the All-Star Game runs around, we'll be kicking off hockey in Las Vegas officially. So I'm looking forward to that. But, yes, there is a practice rink slated to be built for all the Vegas hockey fans. Uh, just news like that is keeping the excitement going here in town. And the, the, the more things you hear about that are progressing, there's more speculation behind the scenes that, yes, we are going to get our franchise um, momentum's picking back up a little bit after you know the the lull there when they were not going to vote at it in December. There was a little disgruntlement here in town, but I think with news like that picking up, that there's a deal in place to have that practice rink built with the county is is certainly encouraging going forward. Chris, we're going to be up against the break here in about 20 seconds. Any last words? Now that's it. I'm, I'm hoping we get that good news sooner or later with Vegas because they definitely deserve it. And I would imagine be curious to see if Quebec could do that, that as well because we're getting close to the deadline if they're going to start the 17-18 season. So. Yeah, definitely got to get it done. All right, well, that's it for this episode of the podcast. Um, make sure you follow Dan Mount at Dan Mount Sports, and we're gone.